If you would, open your Bibles up to James chapter 5. It's toward back, Hebrews, James. Scripture is uh, James 5, 7 through 9. And uh, let's read it right quick, and then, and then we'll get into this thing. I've never, just real quick, where, why is the boy preaching James at Christmas time? Just real quick, one of the things I do, one of the things I do is there's a thing called a, a common lectionary that lots and lots of churches around the world will use, especially liturgical churches at this time. Well, they use it year-round. Um, that says that we're going to preach this scripture on this, these days. And so there'll be uh, two, three options that they give. It runs on a three-year cycle and all that kind of stuff. At Christmas time, I like to use that scripture because, and I think I've explained this to you once before, everywhere Christians today are going to be talking about this. Everywhere Christians are going to be joining their hearts. We're going to forget our denominations today. We're going to forget our differences. We're going to forget our practices. We'll forget whether we're in a little bitty church or a big old church. We'll forget all of that. And we'll all look at one scripture together and remember Jesus. That's what I like. I think that's cool. Scripture James chapter 5, 7 through 9 says, Be patient therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James 5, 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. All through James' letter, he's been talking about common people being oppressed. Common people being oppressed by rich people, what we would call today the power elite. James was... James was very good at communicating this. He would talk about how folks were being oppressed, being held down. And he would say, guys, here's, here's the deal. These folks, the power elite that you're holding in such esteem, that you're, you are putting other people down in order for them to be raised up, this isn't the way Jesus operated this isn't the way God wants things. James, by the way, was Jesus' brother. Can you imagine how that conversation went? You know, there's, there's scripture that says that, that Jesus' brother, mother, and brothers came one day to get him and said, come on home, son. <laughs> You're getting a little weird. Come on home. And he said, no, no, my mothers and, and, and fathers and brothers and sisters are all here. James grew up knowing Jesus as his brother, and then he has to realize that Jesus is his Lord and Savior too. That, to me, was just a, wow, that would be an interesting conversation to have. And yet that's what happened. And James was in Jerusalem. He wrote this letter to the Jew Jerusalem church, essentially telling him, quit playing games. You hold all these people in such high honor that you'll disrespect one of your own, to elevate them up. And these are the ones who oppress you. And, and Jesus didn't walk that path. He didn't do that. And he was very effective in getting that out. 
Because in 62 AD, a new high priest took office. The guy's name was Ananus II, took office, and he was one of the power elite. He was one of the people in the church, a big wig in the church, and he had so much power that James became a martyr for Jesus because Ananus had him put to death. But eight years after that happened, Rome came through, and when Rome came through, they plowed Jerusalem under, and they wiped Israel completely off the map. This was in 70 AD. Y'all need to file that away. We're going to mention that again later on, and it's going to make a difference. 70 AD, Israel ceased to exist. And one little tidbit, and this is for trivia night. If you ever go anywhere and do Bible trivia, trivia night, Titus was the name of the general that was in, in charge of the Roman army that wiped out Jerusalem, no stone left unturned, plowed the soil so it couldn't be planted anymore, wiped Israel off the map. When he got back to Rome, it was traditional to get a victor's wreath. And he said, I don't, I don't want a victor's wreath. Because, see guys, all I was was an instrument of God's wrath. He knew what he had done. He knew what was going on. I'm an instrument of God's wrath. You too be patient, James says. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. You'll notice in both verses 7 and 8, they both mention being patient in the coming of the Lord. In both of those verses, be patient in the coming of the Lord. Now the word that's used here for patient is unusual. Because normally the word that's used here for being patient is a word that says, be patient in your suffering. You're going to suffer, life's hard, be patient in your suffering, be patient in your suffering. But when James gets here, he says a completely different word altogether. Still says be patient, but his patient, his word says this, there are things in life that you can do nothing about. You can do absolutely nothing about them, quit focusing on them. And start focusing on the relief that's going to come. Patiently wait for the relief. Do you see the difference? If you're, if you're patiently enduring your suffering, then you're looking at your suffering all the time. James is saying, look at your relief all of the time. Look at what's coming. Strengthen your hearts. It doesn't strengthen your heart to be told that you've got cancer. That anybody ever. I've not seen anybody ever that when they were told they had cancer, they went, woohoo! Hey, this is going to be good. We're going to get chemotherapy. I'm going to lose all my hair. I'm going to be sick and throw up. I've not heard anybody ever do that. But where you do hear is when they find out that, you know what? Yes, you have cancer, but it's curable. And we can get rid of it. Or we could remove it surgically or radiation or chem chemotherapy. But we can promise you that you'll survive this and life will go on after it. Don't focus on the suffering. You focus on the cure. He says, do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Do y'all know the bypass is going to open on Tuesday? It is. There's a sign. If you hadn't seen it, drive up 129 Eatonton Highway, whatever you call it. And there's a blinking sign that says that the bypass is going to open on 1013. No, 1213. 1213. 1213. The bypass is going to open. Do you know when the bypass started aggravating me? This week. It started aggravating me this week. I come that way every day. 
Every day that comes, I come down Eatonton Highway. I've watched it go from, from, from trees on both sides of the road to being leveled out to being dirt roadway to gravel to concrete. I've watched it. I've watched that sucker be built. I've seen what's going on out there. And the whole time knowing that when they get that thing built, all of this truck traffic that goes by mine and Barry's office every day. By the way, when you come by our office, you don't have to blow. We appreciate the thought, but you don't have to. <laughs> You're only 10 feet away from our window. Barry's jumped in my lap before. It's real embarrassing when people in the office. <laughs> Scares us to death. Y'all don't, y'all don't have to. Thank you. We love you, but. But anyway, I know that when those trucks... <clears throat> When that bypass opens, about 90% of that traffic or more is going to start going around the bypass, and it's going to get real quiet, so it won't interrupt mine and Barry's naps when we're in our office there. There's, there's a method to this thing, and I've known for a long time that this bypass was coming, but it really didn't bother me, you know? But I've seen for, for over a month, it looks like, they've been through, you know? And I still have trucks going by my window. And it makes all kinds of noise. And I don't know why it's this way. I do know why it's this way. It's because this is the way we are. That, that, that the closer it gets to the day for that thing to open, the louder the trucks outside my windows get. I don't know what it is. I think they rev up the motors as they go by. I know you blow your horn, but I think you're revving up your motors as you're going by. It gets like, that's the way we think. See, relief is coming. Relief is going to happen Tuesday. But you focus on the suffering. Think about your kids. You know, those little darling angel child children that y'all have that, that you send to school every day that never do anything wrong. Your little precious patooties, you know, that y'all send out everywhere. And these school teachers are getting them. And I had school teachers tell me last week when I went to Wells Primary, I had school teachers tell me the closer it gets to Christmas, your little precious patooties are lucky to come home alive, <laughs> it sounds like. These teachers see them coming in and we're going, oh, they're so cute. And they actually had in, I'll be careful, I actually had one in a certain situation. I said, that child is so cute. And the teacher turned and looked at me and said, you want them? <laughs> I said, obviously not. <laughs> when, does a bride, when does a bride turn into a full-bore bridezilla? It's not four months before the wedding, it's four days before the wedding. Relief is almost there. We're almost there. The song, Mamas and the Papas picked up, a, uh, did a song, and you young people don't even try it. Just YouTube it one day, you'll find it. But his first album, one of the first albums I ever got, and the line in their song is the darkest hours just before dawn. Psalm 30, verse 5. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, if I can turn the page, 30, verse 5 says, weeping may last through the night, but when does joy come? Joy comes in the morning. So the way our minds operate is we'll focus on the suffering and not focus on the relief. We know that morning is coming. We know that relief is coming, and yet we curse the darkness because it's still there. James is telling us here, listen, folks, be patient. Be patient. Be patient. 
Don't complain against one another. That's human nature for the last thousand years. There's a cure right around the corner. You get impatient, and so everybody gets on your last nerve, and we start turning on each other, and we'll fight, and we'll have arguments because we're looking at this moment. We're not looking at the future. The Hebrew children did it. You remember when they were wandering in the wilderness, fussing about the miracle food that they were getting, and yet they complained about it. They knew it was going to be over one day, but they were focused on the suffering. James is saying to us, listen, understand what you're doing. Keep your focus. Don't be caught bickering with each other because you're all going to be standing before God. You're all going to be standing before God at some point. Focus on the cure. There is nothing you can do about life. There's nothing you can do about it. We have power elite in our day. We have some are good, some are bad. We have death, disease, dishonesty. There are things that you can count on. Barry knows. He knows that every year when we're going to have the musical, there's going to be cold, flu, or a stomach bug. It happens every year. Every year, Mama, I was talking to my mom. They're worried about their musical coming up because so many people had the junk. It's just, that's what happens, and it happens every year. You can't do anything about it. That's just life. Children are going to break bones. Old folks are going to go to the hospital. You'll lose your job. You'll get a new job. You'll think it's going to be the greatest job you've ever had in your whole life, and then it turns out to be not the greatest job you've ever had in your whole life. Spouses will leave. Life will be hard. Our lives are a mix of joy and happiness and disappointment and regret. We know that the morning is coming. We know that relief is on the way. And yet we want to complain bitterly about the darkness. And James says, quit looking at the darkness. Look at the cure. Look at the light. The more you keep Jesus in your eyes, his message, the better you're going to cope, the happier you're going to be. And James gives us a very concrete way to keep Jesus in our eye. He says to us, look for Jesus' return. Now, if you say that, I don't know about you, but Jesus hadn't come in a long, long time. He left 2,000 years ago, right? I mean, he's, he's gone. And uh, it's been a long time. And... Uh, Maybe that's one of those things that it'll be another thousand years or another two thousand years. We don't know when he's coming back. But I want to go through a little exercise with you this morning. And I want, to, I want when we get through with this, I want you and me to understand that when we say that Jesus is coming again, we mean that Jesus is coming again. That this isn't something we talk about. This is not some one, he is coming again. Just as sure as we're standing, as I'm standing in this room and you're sitting in those pews, he's coming again. It's going to be a day of glory. It's going to be a day of reckoning, but he's coming again. Now, I want to help you understand. I just want us to get there a little bit. 4,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, roughly 2,000 B.C., 
The Bible records a conversation that God had with a man by the name of Abraham. And in that, in that conversation, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, we know that all the families of the earth will be blessed. We know because it's Christmas time, and that's where we're going, and we've studied this for the last, in my life, 60 years, all the way down to Chandler who I guess had to go all the way down to Chandler, who is having her first Christmas now. We're going to hear it every year that that promise was for the coming Messiah, that that promise was Jesus, that Jesus was in Abraham because Abraham was going to have a child, who was going to have a child, 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 have a child until eventually Jesus would be born. He was born of the Virgin Mary legally. Joseph was his daddy. The bloodline worked both ways. That's what he's talking about here. God made that promise 4,000 years ago. 2,700 years ago, we hear these words from Isaiah. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Same time frame, Isaiah again. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. We know this is right, don't we? You agree with me this morning that this is talking about Jesus. Do you doubt, do you doubt, do you doubt in any way that 2,000 years ago, a baby was born to a virgin named Mary because, and since that time, the world has been turned upside down by him. Over 2 billion people believe that Jesus came in the flesh, born to Mary, laid in a manger, lived, died, and was resurrected, called from the grave to the glory of God the Father. Do you believe that? We do, don't we? No doubt. We have no doubt. Concrete fact, God promised that a child was going to come, a child came. All right? We all agree. God promised it, said it was going to happen 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago it happened. All right, the next thing, while Jesus was here, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because he isn't looking for him and doesn't receive him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus was crucified. He was resurrected. He spoke to, spoke to his guys. He went off. He was sent into heaven. And then we hear this in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roar of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared, settled on each one of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them abilities. Jesus made a promise to his disciples that the Holy Spirit would come, and when Jesus was no longer physically present with us, the Holy Spirit came. Now listen, you can look at that and say, well, I don't know. Listen, the Bible has more historical attestation than a lot of other ancient books that we look at. We know in the Bible it says that 3,000 people had their lives changed that day. That means over 3,000 people witnessed the Holy Spirit coming. So God promised a baby was going to be born, a baby was born. He promised that the Holy Spirit was going to come and then the Holy Spirit came. He's two for two. He's doing pretty good right now, don't you think? Then we've got some more. We're going to hop in our Wayback Machine. 
Am I skipping anything? Let's see. Yes, I am. All right, I knew that you needed this part. We're making a case. So, got that. Now, let's back up in time just a little bit. Jesus has risen from the dead. He is now ascending into heaven. It's in Acts again. It says, as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. All right? Baby's going to come, baby came. Holy Spirit's going to come, Holy Spirit came. Jesus has gone to heaven, hasn't come back yet, but he just told us he ascended into heaven like this. He's going to come back the same way. Same way. Here he comes. This is just one of several one of several scriptures referring to Jesus' return. Now, I want you to get in the Wayback Machine again with me, all right? Y'all remember Mr. Peabody? Any of you guys remember Mr. Peabody in the Wayback Machine? Yeah, here we go. There you go. Zachary knows. Mr. Peabody, we're in the Wayback Machine. 2,500 years ago, Ezekiel said this, And I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and the nations. You got to listen to the words from among the peoples and the nations. Israel got wiped out time after time after time again. When they got wiped out, they would be taken off into captivity in Babylon, captivity in Assyria. They were in Egypt. They were in one country. But this doesn't refer to one country. This says return from peoples and nations. This means Israel scattered all over the world. They're everywhere. What happened in 70 A.D.? Pop test. I spoke, to both, spoke about it a few minutes ago. 70 A.D. Pop test. Rome came through and plowed Israel under off the face of the earth. What happened on March the 14th of 1948? Israel became a nation again. Wait a minute. God said in Ezekiel 2,700 years ago that I will bring all of my people back together. It'll be a sign of the coming of the Messiah. I'll bring all of my people back together again. From 70 AD until 1948, Israel did not exist as a nation on the face of this earth. And in 1948, it did exist. And let me tell you something else about that little bitty tiny nation of Israel. People have come against Israel. Two countries came against Israel. Four countries came against Israel. Much, much bigger nations than Israel they can't beat them why is that hmm probably because God said 2700 years ago I'm going to bring them back as my nation and they're going to and I'm going to feed them on the mountainsides and you can try to run them off all you want to but you can't do it because I am in charge see here we go. We got a baby. Baby's born. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit come. Jesus is coming again. And oh, now I'm starting to see some things happening. Jesus says in uh, 500 years after Ezekiel spoke, Jesus said this. Later, Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when all this is going to happen. What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? And Jesus told them, Don't let anybody mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They'll deceive many and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is just the first of the birth pangs. Lots more has got to come yet. 
Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Do I need to remind you that right now the United States of America recognizes that there are ten wars going on around the world, there are eight conflicts going on around the world, that there are 64 nations right now 64 nations that have violent conflicts within them, 576 different groups are fighting with each other around the world right this minute. 576 people, are, people groups are trying to kill each other. Do I need to remind you of the earthquakes? Do I need to remind you of the pictures of the bloated bellied babies who don't even look for food anymore? Do I need to remind you of ISIS? And how they slice people's heads off who believe in Christ and who take Christian women and hold them hostage and make them their slaves. Do I have to remind you that one year ago, Rob Johnson, one of our own members here, was devastated when his brother was killed in San Bernardino by a Muslim terrorist. Sins rampant everywhere. In our country, people may chant that love wins, but when we look at love as a principle, it has waxed very cold. Jesus says that these are birth pangs. This is the beginning. Things are starting to happen. Now, I don't know how God's timetable works. I know his clock ticks differently than mine does. And maybe his return is still a thousand years off. I don't know. But I know this much. He says that when you start seeing these things happen, lift up your head. Because your redemption is drawing nigh. For 2,000 years, Israel didn't exist, and it existed in my lifetime. Some of you younger people haven't lived a life not knowing that there was not an Israel. Some of the people in here have lived lives, and there was no Israel. But it's back now, and the Bible said that it was going to happen. A baby was going to come, a baby came, the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit was going to come, the Holy Spirit came. Jesus is going to come back. We've got to pave the way. Israel's in place. Things are starting to happen. We better pay attention. What James is telling us here is, listen, there's nothing you can do about your life. You can plan and make the best plans that you've ever planned. You can work your plan. That's what you need to do. Make your plans, work your plan, but understand that life's going to throw you a curveball. You can't stop it. Life is life. But you can choose how you're going to deal with it. You can look forward to what's coming, to what's going to happen, and understand the battle that we're involved with and who the winner of this thing is, or you can curse the darkness that you live in. You can believe God and follow Him and hold on to His hope, or you can let go of all of that and curse where you are. And you can deny Him, and you can deny, and you can make up every reason, and you can say all the things that people say about the faith, and why it's not relevant, and why these things aren't true, and why they can explain all this stuff away. But I promise you that one day, one day the judge is standing at the door. You can't deny Him when you stand in front of Him face to face. And we will all stand there. I'm thankful that Jesus came. I'm thankful that it was spoken of 4,000 years ago, came true 2,000 years ago. 
I'm thankful for that Holy Spirit came. That changed everything when the Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus and delivered by Jesus. And I am thankful that I can look at the future and know that that baby was only the beginning. We're going to sing tonight. We sang this morning about that baby coming. That was, that was small potatoes compared to where he's taking us to. He's taking us to glory. He's taking us to peace. He's taking us to fulfillment. And he's taking us to a place that starts right this minute that says, you can look at life and you can either curse it or you can embrace me and rejoice in it. And it's your choice. You get to do either one you want to do. I know which one looks better to me. You see, a baby was promised, and a baby came, and the Holy Spirit was promised, and the Holy Spirit came, and Jesus was promised to come back again, and I'm starting to see things line up and take place. It may not happen in my lifetime, but it might. And when it does, I can't wait to hear the news on television. In Israel today, the most incredible thing occurred. A man claiming to be Jesus Christ descended from the sky. In the same way I go is the same way he'll come. Believe it or not, don't curse the dark. Look to your hope. Joy comes in the morning that's just right around the corner. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us how your word isn't just talk or fairy tales or fables. Father, as much as there are those who will dismiss you and your word, Lord, there is pl plenty of, of your word plainly for us all to see. Father, you do what you say you're going to do. We can count on it. You said you would save us, and you have. You said that you'd make a way for us to be strong, and you have. You've said that you would make us super conquerors, and you have. And we thank you, Lord, that every day and one day we'll see the truth of your word become truth in action. And Father, there are those here who do not believe. And I pray that you open their eyes to you. And you make them see Jesus. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can believe or not believe anything I just said. Studied the book. You've studied the book, too. Studied other books, all the ancient historical writings. This has as much attestation as any of them do. I choose to believe this book is true. Especially when I see things like a baby promised and a baby delivered. A Holy Spirit promised and a Holy Spirit delivered. Jesus returned promised and I'm seeing things fall in place. If God did all that, he also said that he would take you in your sinfulness 
and forgive you of your sins and make you brand new. That he would wipe away your guilt. Our society has worked real hard trying to make guilt go away. Guilt won't go away. It's ingrained in us because we have transgressed a holy God, to put it in religious language. We've not lived the way we were supposed to, the way God designed it. We know that. And it causes guilt. And yet we turn to him and say, Father, forgive me. And he washes all that away. That's yours this morning if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Believe that he is the Lord. Believe that he will forgive you. Ask him to guide you for the rest of your life. And you're done. And Christians, we curse the darkness. I do it, you do it, we all do it. Lean back in your chair every now and then. Jesus is not only coming again, because you were reborn, he's in you right now. We have something tremendous to rejoice over. This morning, if you need to pray, come to the altar and pray. If you're missing the spark, come and ask him to give you the spark back. If you, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior and you've never made a profession of faith, come forward and talk to me about it. Whatever God's leading you to do right this minute, let's stand.